Will in betweeners ten be set on their deathbed? Answer me this, answer me this. Before Judge Dredd was Judge Dredd, was he Barrister Dredd? Answer me this, answer me this. Well, we start this episode with a timely question from Lauren in Bethnal Green, who says, Helen, answer me this. As an adult, have you ever been on holiday with your parents? And I happen to know that this has an incredible amount of relevance to your current life. That's right. Last week, I went on my first full Zaltzman family holiday since 1988. Now, you use the word full, but you were there for how long? I was there for one night. One night. I That's all you could manage with your parents. I don't want to overdo things. It was a bit different to uh, the holiday in 88. Uh, I no longer suck my thumb. Uh, my brother doesn't listen to nearly as much Bon Jovi on cassette anymore. And Debbie Gibson is no longer his second favourite musical <laughs> artist. The last time we were in South Africa, this time we are in Hampshire, where there were no herds of warthogs, there were no rhinos, there were no lions killing giraffes. There were some cows. But another remarkable event that happened on the holiday is that for the second time in my life... Mm. I saw my dad wear jeans. Wow. Yes. It was a bit of a shock because he's usually cords only. Yeah. Occasionally like thick cotton trousers. But he said, I needed a pair of trousers to keep molten metal off my legs. That's why hipsters wear jeans, isn't it? (laughs) And um, when it comes to deciding what the itinerary is, I know that there's only one night and one day involved here. But uh, you're someone who really likes to do what you like to do. Yeah, I I sacrificed that. I can imagine. I just got rid of that. What did you do? We went to a place called, I think it's called Buckler's Hard. And it's a place of maritime historical importance because that's where many of uh, Lord Admiral Nelson's ships were built. Buckler's Hard. Yes. I think I've seen a film about that on the internet and it wasn't <laughs> maritime. I have a real mental block on maritime history. I just don't give a fuck. Yeah. I, and you know some subjects you just can't make yourself yes, care about. absolutely. It's, it's one of those mortifying places that you and I, Ollie, find difficult where people are dressed in mob caps going, forsooth, I am oh, no. Lady Harriet. And yet for some reason I'm okay with Disney. I don't know yeah. what that is. I'm okay for someone to be a giant mouse, but if they yeah pretend to have been born just 40 years before they were i have a real issue with that well this one there was quite a young guy doing a walking tour and he was like i am henry adams the uh, main shipwright um (laughs) and who was alive in i think the 18th century yes and he was like this is my house where i lived until i died at 93 and the children on the tour were like well if you're dead how come you're here but how come you're not a ghost? Yeah. Etc. It's a straightforward question. It got quite existential with this guy. You know, who was he? (laughs) How did he answer it? Uh, He hedged, but in in a way that suggested that he knew that his job was inherently ridiculous because he also pointed at the woman wearing the mob cap up the field saying there of course my daughter mary a woman at least 40 years older than him oh wow so that's then, great. then he said well i've been bathing in the river here keeps my skin young <laughs> so as experiments went then sounds reasonable three out of five perhaps would you go away with your family again perhaps this time next year for i don't know 48 two nights. hours yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i, yeah? Yeah, I, t- I totally would glad to hear it um, I mean, i've been numerous times away with my family yeah you go almost annually don't we you? were until very recently we went away annually um and i think probably looking back on it the, the best out of all of those, or at least the one that would most fit itself into the structure of a contemporary sitcom, uh, would be uh, when I was about 17, we had, as in myself... You're not an adult when you're 17. Well, it's borderline, isn't it? No, you're not an adult. Well, uh, we had, as in my mother, my father and myself, had a family holiday booked in to go to uh, the Garden Route in South Africa. Mm -hmm. Two months before we left, my grandfather, my mother's father, died. And so to help my bereaving grandmother get over it all... Bereaving? That's a new word. Thank you. Yeah, I was happy with it. Okay. And we all know what it means. 
Um, Bereaved is really what you meant. That would work too, yeah. It would work better. Yeah, all right. Bereaving suggests you killed your grandfather to make other people bereaved. Yeah. What's pedantry called in the past tense? Same. Uh, It's not a verb. (laughs) Shut up! (laughs) (laughs) They invited her along on the family holiday, um, but they didn't want to spend more money, so I ended up sharing a room with my recently bereaved grandmother. Um, And like I say... Who was that worse for, her or you? Well, this is it. You know, there I was, hormonally charged, looking to get drunk, uh, skulking off with my CD player and a stack of Ben Folds. Meanwhile, my grandmother bursting into tears frequently, questioning the value of her own life and everything, literally everything, reminding her of her marriage. But... Sharing a bit, a bit of booze and Benfolds might have been a balm to her soul at that point. Well, I think we did kind of help each other in a strange sort of way. We had a, I, I think, definitely a more harmonious relationship, weirdly, than had my mother been sharing with her mother. Mm. We have been on holiday with Martin's parents as adults, and because I hadn't been on holiday with my own family at that point for twenty years, I found going on holiday with another family very unsettling, mm. especially as Martin's dad wore speedos. It's a lot. lovely to be reminded how good my dad looks in a pair of speedos. He <laughs> and is a, and a short sleeve shirt. Man. Yeah, comfortable. When you're on holiday with your family... I'm not going to talk about my dad's penis. I wasn't asking you to talk about his penis. Okay, maybe, maybe his, his general pelvic well, I'm, I'm, Basically, I'm saving that for another podcast. <laughs> the podcast where finally we give you Freudian therapy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, here's a question about the things we inherit from our families. Uh, um, carriage clocks. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to some really choice paintings. Seriously, <laughs> they've got the fruit bowl thing. The fruit bowl thing? You know, the classic fruit bowl, I mean, it, you know, that you do in art college. Yeah. I, why do you have that on your wall? So that you can be reminded what fruit looks like. I guess so, yeah. If you haven't got any in. I guess so. Uh, Phil says, I have been blessed in many ways. I'm 6'3", I'm athletic, and I'm not awful looking. Congratulations, mm, Phil. Blessed. Are you single? Uh, I have 20-20 vision right. and a clean bill of health, and I've been born into a good family. It's like a Jane Austen novel from the other side, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> I have a fortune of 3000 a year. <laughs> uh, I imagine that's what Match.com would have been like in the uh, 19th century. <laughs> uh, recently on the podcast, he says, you talked about balding. Uh, and that is where I have lost the genetic lottery. What's wrong with balding? A, a man's scalp is a marvellous, shiny thing. I'm 22, continues Phil. Oh, OK, that's yeah, unfair. Yeah, that is bad, yeah. Mm. Uh, and uh, I am definitely losing my hair at a decent rate. You could be in my family. <laughs> uh, give it five years and I will be a full-on skinhead. As he's 6'3", fewer people will notice because he's taller. Yeah, and also Phil, having been so blessed, probably has a magnificent skull and he'll get to show it off more. Absolutely. So, Helen, answer me this. How did you win or lose the genetic lottery? I don't know if that's for me to decide, is it, so much as the people that have to put up with me i think win lose or draw would have been fairer parameters on this one <laughs> i think both of us have quite a few draws yes um, you know and, and and in fairness probably not that many wins but i wouldn't know if oh. i'd classify that many losses on myself okay you know i'm, I'm happy enough i can happy i can imagine i can imagine that there are features that i would prefer yes but i wouldn't consider them a loss not to have them you make do don't you, you compromise you use your brain yeah and and you did inherit your mum's genetics which are very fine visually yeah if only big tits was useful to me <laughs> Look, you, <laughs> as yet they've been a burden i think you haven't capitalized upon them yet because you're too <laughs> modest uh, about that glorious rap <laughs> uh what would you say helen i suppose he's asking uh, uh, your your favorite traits that you've inherited i've got a big head yes i quite like that yeah. um I, I suppose i have strong facial bone structure mm. that's that's nice to know We've that both that's got under that. there yeah i do have a massive forehead though and i have mm. quite crap hair i don't think you've got a massive forehead or crap hair Thank you, Martin. I've sort of your role to say that, but well done for chipping Thank in and Martin. saying it. Well, I mean, you've got a massive foot, but if you didn't have a massive forehead, it'd be a proportion with okay. your massive face. But proportionally, <laughs> it's not it's not a big forehead. That's, that's adorable of you. I wish I was taller. 
because both my parents are pretty short. Do you wish you were baller? baller? Hey, yeah. Come on. I set, I set that up for you. Don't oh, celebrate. Oh, fuck. We tie five uh, and we miss. Hold on. One, two, three. I wish there you could see this, listeners. That was tragic. Martin was nearly terrible. fell off his chair. Terrible. Not um, <laughs> Appalling. Um, <laughs> I, I, I wish I had more elegant limbs. Yeah. Uh, that was the next line that Kilo sang, yeah. of course. <laughs> I worry that I have inherited too much of my dad's personality because he's a real pain in the ass. Oh, yeah, but he's got a good sense of humour there. Yes, I have, the, I have the family yeah. GSOH. Take uh, that sourness and make it funny. Now, what might be a win is that the family tend to live for a really long time. Mm. Like, 80s, pretty safe bet. My, my dad's mother lived till 99 downside parkinson's also runs in the family mm. so that's like a lot of decades potentially with uh, debilitating and incurable conditions well incurable now but of course by the time you get to 80 it might be a different scenario mightn't yeah. it no one's going to want to spend that cure on me then you'll have the last <laughs> laugh <laughs> um i got psoriasis oh not a big win um but uh, at the moment thankfully confined to my scalp but um yeah it's elsewhere on my father and he didn't get it elsewhere he says until he married my mother ho ho because oh. obviously it's famously stress related uh, but actually you know he was in his mid-30s when he married my mother so oh. whether it's stress related or, or age related it's i don't just know waiting yet. for you i could yeah in two years time suddenly start getting on my elbows and things so that's not so good okay but it could be worse because that is something you can you can cover with ointments or shirts yeah, but you can't cure it. A bit like mm. the Parkinson's thing. I suppose rather psoriasis than Parkinson's. So I, w- I win yeah. in the genetic lottery between us. If you're, you're choosing a glass half empty guy. <laughs> if you're choosing one of the peas, yes. you go psoriasis. <laughs> I absolutely would. And um, I-, I think out of the three of us, it's fair to say Martin's probably won more of the genetic lottery. You know, you're basically a good-looking man, Martin. I think oh, people would you. be yeah. happy with most of your features. You've got but, a yeah. glorious head of hair. Yeah, so the, magnificent. My head of hair is my is my grandfather's. I think, and, and <laughs> he scalped well, him when not, he died. Not, not literally. I think I think that having hair on every other part of my body is from my dad but um, you know I, I, I you're can, hairier than your dad because I've seen him in Speedo so I know <laughs> this is true. you're hairier than him I can grow a good beard though yep and but, that's, and that's and not all men can do that I'm not, I'm not showing off it's just, that's just chance I think despite the fact that certainly uh, I'm not going to say something dirty here mm. but certainly waist up I think you've won the genetic lottery <laughs> I look at my legs. You what, mate? I think I've got shapelier legs than you have. You've got lovely legs, really. You see, look at the tone. My but calf, look, I think, is more shapely my, than Martin's. Look at my sharp shins. I've got a bone here that you could you could cut fresh meat with. You both have lovely shapely legs. I'm going to say Ollie's are more in proportion with his height. Yeah. Whereas Martin has the shapely legs of a five foot six man. Look but at my the body... beautiful slender feet. I'm not saying you have bad legs. I'm saying you've got average legs. What I'm saying is I've got good legs. I've I think. got lovely. Legs. You've got a better top that. half. I've acknowledged as much. Tell you what. Tell you what. I'll take pictures of your legs side by side okay and, oh. and the listeners can decide who's got the better legs lovely yeah, come on listeners i'm seeing this trending facebook.com yeah. slash answer me this <laughs> if you've got a question then email your question to answer me this podcast at googlemail.com answer me this podcast at googlemail.com answer me this podcast at Here's a question from Richard from Bath who says Today, rather than stay in and watch more of the Commonwealth Games I decided to go on a casual 20 mile hike through the Cotswold Hills As you do Watching the Commonwealth Games just makes me want to eat more cake I've absolutely no desire to yeah. then go out and compete on any kind of level. Oh, what are they doing? Swimming? Maybe I'll go and drink uh, chocolate milkshakes in the bath. <laughs> uh, anyway, Richard continues. Uh, during the walk through the Cotswold Hills, I made sure I was constantly checking my trusty OS map of the area. 
Uh, that's, that's ordnance server. That's ordnance server. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. for those of you who thought that OS always meant operating system. Or old Sanokins from my old school. That's I get right, the OS yeah. newsletter once a year. I'm sure there's literally a couple of people listening who thought it might mean that. Yes. Uh, uh, it made me wonder, continues Richard, about how these maps are made. Uh, I don't know when the first OS map was published. Do you feel a question coming on? I, nope. I suspect I do. Can't see where it's going. <laughs> Can't see where this is going to come from. something about hiking blisters. <laughs> but I imagine, continues Richard, they didn't have aerial photography at the time. And these maps are remarkably accurate, showing even the smallest stream and copse of trees. So, Helen, answer me this. When was the first OS map published, and how are they so accurate? Did they send a man with an altimeter and a notebook over every square mile of Britain, or do they have more sophisticated methods? No, it was pretty much that yeah, I can uh, imagine. at the time, yeah. because uh, they were making these in the 18th and 19th century. Wow. You're right, they did not have aerial photography then. And even when uh, they were making the A to Z, I read a very good book about the making of the A to Z called Mrs P's Journey by Sarah Hartley, if you're interested. She walked tens of thousands of streets in London and then did all these calculations to make sure all the angles were accurate. So even though London was smaller, when Mrs P was making the A to Z, uh, mapping was bloody hard work. And this, yeah, it was absolutely gruelling, apparently. Mm. Uh, men walked hundreds of miles in a really short time to draw up these things. And actually, how and this is going to sound like a very naive question, but really, how important was it to mark down the altitude of every hill? Mm. Um, you probably could have got away with it if you were a few metres out. Well, this is it. I mean, can you just indicate it's a hill? I mean, actually, is it that... I, I understand nerdishly, especially from the point of view of these kind of anoraki men, it's important to catalogue mm. everything. But actually... How important is it for the user well, to have that level of detail? On, on Ordnance Survey maps, remember, they've got the little thin lines denoting um, gradient. So when they're really close together, it's a steep gradient. Yeah. If you're committing to that level of uh, mapping... Then be precise. It's not a job to be half-assed, is it? <laughs> but there's a, there's a really important application, actually. So a friend of mine went on this course on night navigation. So right. if you're like someone who's into like climbing mountains, especially places like Scotland, which are always wet, often stormy, you can very easily find yourself at night or the, you know, the night's drawn in you haven't got home or fog comes and you can't see where you're going so you have to navigate by the slope and you know mm. and you want to get in, you don't want to get yourself in a position where you're about to walk off a cliff basically if there's zero vis- visibility it's extraordinary isn't it that people still do that for fun like I get that people <laughs> did it before Google Maps and before Netflix but, but now there is Netflix <laughs> but now when you're no but I go for walks I like going for walks but if I get lost it's amazing to use my smartphone and realise oh I'm, I'm here but yeah. you can't do that in the middle of a yeah. Scottish mountain, I don't think. The reception's a bit iffy. But people go orienteering, don't they, for fun? Oh, my God. That's the reason people do it, is they like using maps. They go on trials in cars as well, because they like using maps. It's because maps. people other than you like using their brains, Ollie. I can't imagine <gasps> it. The thing I dislike about OS maps is, firstly, at school, we were forced to learn all of the symbols, even though we never ended up ever using an OS map. Secondly, impossible to fold. Yes, once unfolded never folded it's again. It's not going back in. Which, when you're in a high wind outside, yeah. it's not that great. They, they're available online as well. They have a whole, like, copyright. Okay, but thing. they weren't when they first came about, which um, is Richard's question. Right. Uh, the reason why they decided they needed maps of this detail was um, after the Jacobite Rebellion in Scotland of 1745, and uh, so they wanted the military to understand the terrain so that that couldn't happen again. Mm-hmm. It was very strategic. And they were also worried... Um, and, and so then a guy called William Roy, an engineer, uh, was charged with doing this survey, but he died before it was finished. So I don't think there was really an OS map until 1801, when the first one-inch scale map of Kent was published. Why Kent? 
I think because it was vulnerable to invasion from France and the French Revolution was in full swing then and they thought that it might get across the English Channel and they had to really up the defences. I personally, however precise the mapping, am someone who does not enjoy navigation in any of its forms. Are you really someone who comprehends maps? You've probably got a small hippocampus. I think the problem is... I am dyspraxic, I think. I'm so mal-coordinated and I have no sense of direction. And, and distances, like the length of things, seems to fox you as well. Basically, if it's any of... It's all coming out today, isn't it? Things if, that Ollie can't do. <laughs> if any of my... Yeah, but, but shapely legs to do them with. Let's let the listeners decide about that. <laughs> you also have long, elegant fingers. Basically, if any of my carers or guardians had Hansel and Gretel style left me abandoned in a forest, I would die there. Like, there's no option for me to find even a house with a weird pedo in it. Yeah. I'd just die. And you'd eat the trail. I'd <laughs> yeah. Martin has taken up monitoring the local bat population. Someone had to. No, uh, they didn't. No. <laughs> Actually, that's true. <laughs> no one had to. Because uh, there are bats in Crystal Palace Park, which is exciting. Yeah. In London Park, to have bats, very thrilling. They're really nice, actually. Sure. Martin knows this because he's been eavesdropping upon them. He has bought bat monitors... So, so the, my understanding of this, Martin, is yeah, you've, yeah, you've got this... It's, it's essentially a microphone. Of course, if you were going to have a hobby, it would involve pointing a mic at something. Or is it more like an <laughs> yes. amp? Uh, well, it's technically a heterodyne bat detector. In so English? It's not the same micro- microphone with a beat frequency. It, it translates bat noise into understandable by human ear noise, correct? da 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 bat noise. Yeah. <laughs> and you point your microphone yeah, with a stupid yeah, yeah, name yeah. at them. <clears throat> and then sure. it, this is very clever, right? The science then takes the tone that they're speaking to each other in and lowers it so the human ear can hear that's, it. That's a good uh, description. Which I get, yeah. and is an amazing tool and very cool. And, and everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Once you've done that, once yeah. you've heard the bat talking... Yeah, yeah. You still so don't what? speak bat, remember? <laughs> oh, what right. do you do then? Um, well, do you I just think, oh, wow, I've heard a bat? Well, I'm quite interested in, in uh, what sort of uh, psychoacoustic effects it could have by recording them in stereo. So as they fly past, obviously you can hear the, the signal as it goes past. There's Doppler shift and there's, there's a sort of left to right pattern. So I'm interested in seeing whether you can recreate the bat experience in the privacy of your own home. Right. No, I, no, you can't recreate the bat experience in our own home, Martin. Well, I'm, I've yet to discover that. But, but with, with what? Recreate it with, with your music, for it's, example. He's going to start sleeping on the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen... May we present to you the intermission. Today, brought to you by Answer Me This, episode 95. Available to buy at answermethisstore.com. Stephen in Dublin says, I recently started yoga. Good heavens. Yeah. Uh, following nagging. He's implying female nagging, I think. I think nagging is pretty much always female, it is. isn't it? <laughs> it's pretty much, isn't it? Uh, to try it, you might like it. Yeah, but you're not going to try everything that people are going to say that, because they're going to say that about heroin, aren't they? And yeah, but you the, being, well, that depends who you're mixing with. Having Helen. a dildo in your ear. No, no one's ever said that to me. Ollie, I've got this dildo. Do you want to put it in your ear? All right, then. Oh, shit, you got me. You totally got me. I brain oh, dildoed you. Ah. I am such an idiot. I have have been brain dildo. dildo brain. <laughs> give me those sweet, sexy questions, listeners, and give them to me in your own voice using our phone number, which is... 0208123 Or you can Skype answer me this. Ollie will still get off on that. Mm, but to a lesser degree. This is Randy Simpson from Stirlingshire. Hello and Ollie, answer me this. If the human body was regarded as a brain source of meat... What would be the best cut? I haven't eaten human meat, but I'm going to guess that, as with other animals, you want a decent amount of fat so that the meat's flavoursome and not tough. So I'm going to guess 
that may be the buttocks. Bum, yeah. You've got the gluteus maximus muscle, you have a decent layer of fat. It's rump. The animal that most often cannibals compare human meat to is pig. Chicken. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, yes, although uh, William Seabrook, who wrote a book called Jungle Ways about his experiences in Africa in the 1920s, said that it tastes like no other meat he's ever eaten except veal, but stringier. That guy was really weird. Yeah. Because like, he, he's, he never went to prison for being a cannibal. I think he, he was just... Uh, it was fine as long as you're a rich white man. Yeah. You couldn't get into trouble for like anything. Like an intrepid travel journalist. You know, like the equivalent of Bear Grylls or something. Wait, what, under what circumstances he did went He went to, to a, a, like a lab where there was a dead person and asked, convinced the medical student or the authorities if he could taste a bit. Was, was his attitude that, well, I'm in Africa, so they all eat corpses here? I, I kind of, yeah. Mm. Like, let's explore the world, let's do something a bit different. So he's a racist as well as a psychopath? Well, it was just the style of the time. <laughs> Although, we do, as it, now we have that testimony, I suppose, you know, it means something, doesn't it? It tastes a bit like veal. I wonder if... What the meat tastes like actually depends what we've been eating. Because animal cultivation methods have changed. Well, factory farm things indeed. won't taste the same so, as non-factory farmed human. Exactly. And people buy corn-fed chicken, milk-fed veal, don't they? And actually, yeah, free-range things with muscles. Right. So in, with humans as well, like the racial stereotype apparently that Japanese people say about us is that we smell of dairy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we say racistly about French people, they smell of garlic. But there's some truth in it, isn't there? That certain things, if you eat them, are going to come out in the taste of your flesh. Okay. And well, I wonder whether, um, actually, therefore, it depends which human you're eating and what they've been eating as to which the yeah. tastiest bit would be. Armin Muse, the German cannibal, uh, said that it was like pork but more bitter. Hmm. And again, stringy. So I wonder whether the problem is the way you cook it as well. Maybe human meat doesn't respond well to slow stewing. Maybe you have to sear it or something. Well, consensus seems to be pork. If the consensus okay. is pork, then surely the, the best meat would be the same as on a pig. Okay, so belly. So belly. Sausage That's what I was say. as well. So exactly. And actually, if human you look sausage. back to the serial killers who have Sweeney Todd style served up human meat for public consumption as a way of disposing of the bodies. Were they good cooks, though? Armin Muse sounded like a pretty good cook. He had it with Brussels sprouts and a special sauce and yeah. stuff. Some of them, are, they're not going to cook it with any kind of regard for excellence of flavour and texture. Would you need to hang it for a while? Well, I was wondering that as well. I think cheek might be good. So I reckon there you've got the layering of yes. fat and muscle. And it's not, it's not going to be tough muscle like thigh muscle probably would or calf. Yeah. I get exclamation of eating animal heads, I think I'd... I'd struggle with that. Tongue yeah. would be nice, though. Uh, well, on the subject of food, here's a question from Michael, who says, I've recently heard that strawberries kept in a fridge with milk will make the milk go off. I've also heard that this is a common belief, not just made up on the spot. Mm-hmm. I can't find anything either backing this notion up or debunking it, and it might depend on if the milk's in an airtight plastic bottle, but Helen, answer me this. Do strawberries make milk go off? And if so... Why? This is like being the village shaman or something. I think it's not a ridiculous question at all. Really? I think even if Helen is about to disprove, you know, the fact that it exists and that it is a myth, I think it's exactly in line with the kind of things you hear about fruit and veg that is entirely true. Well, like bananas making other things ripen quicker because they release, um, was it ethylene? Did you see that supermarket secrets thing? No. There was was a... I'm not normally into this kind of... BBC One primetime factual entertainment type show but there was one with Greg Wallace that was on this week that was all about how supermarkets preserve their food which actually I am really into they said if you've got an an unripened apricot put it in a bag with a banana and the apricot will ripen or or just some of them you can put in a bag on their own and the ethylene gas will get trapped in there and uh, they'll ripen anyway yeah Martin now what's a myth now what's stupid Here's, here's a crazy thing I read as well if you put unripe fruits like mangoes into a bin of rice 
that will uh, help them ripen a lot quicker. Now, I know that you're supposed to put uh, a wet mobile phone into rice to make it dry out. out, Didn't know that about mangoes. Probably similar principle, though, a gas trap of some sort. But regarding this Mm. strawberry thing, Mm. I tried many different combinations of words in Google, could not find anything about it at all. Mm. And just off the top of my head, I can't think of any reason why this would be the case. Because strawberries are not that gassy or powerful. They'd have to release such a potent gas that only affected the milk and didn't kill everything else in your fridge. It'd be, the idea was quite... Like, mm. if you put something in rice, rice is absorbent of water. Mm. You surround something in rice, it's going to absorb water. That kind of mm. makes sense to me. But, but like, the idea that strawberries have got this pungent anti-milk agent, it's nuts. And, and milk is in a bottle. And also, how would you know that it was definitely the strawberries, not the other things in your fridge? Have you done a randomised control trial? Get back to us on that, Michael. <laughs> I sing like an angel, that's what everyone tells me But for some reason record labels won't sell me They say my songs are so crap they can virtually smell me What on earth do they mean? Instead use Squarespace to build a musical empire You can stream and sell your songs and merge through which to inspire Other people to dry their hands singing as you are so dire What do you mean, mate? I'm the new Jesse J Mandem, mandem Massive thanks to Squarespace for uh, supplying this show with their patronage And thereby your ears with our voices And because Squarespace support independent podcasts If you want to support independent podcasts indirectly But you're own website directly go to squarespace.com have a play around with uh, all of their easy drag and drop web building tools and if you like them after your two-week free trial you can get 10 percent off squarespace for a whole year if you use the code answer and if you get bored with your website at any point not a big deal you can rejig yeah. it with a simple crack of the whip yeah. simple shake of the hand well, not a literal whip crack right it's only a matter of time before they innovate on that helen their templates are very clever as it is (laughs) Um, here's a question from nick uh, a timely question about this season of weddings yeah although apparently more weddings happen in november than july is that true yeah it's probably cheaper that's a great statistic if that's true that's that's like my strawberry statistic i love it (laughs) greg wallace could base the whole show around that Uh, (laughs) he says helen answer me this has there been any research into bouquet throwing at weddings and how reliable is the outcome in terms of predicting the next marriage. Can't answer the second because I don't think there has been the first because this would require very long-term research over a great number of people to be at all scientifically accurate. And I don't think it's important enough that most people could stand spending their entire adult lives working on this issue. Well, may I say, as someone who works in news radio... Uh, that uh, the motivation behind interesting statistics is not necessarily that people want them. It's usually to promote a product. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, if there was an easy way for a company, for example, Moss Bros or something, well, Match.com. Yeah, it'd be yeah. a flower company, probably. Wouldn't exactly. It? Uh, that could get this statistic, uh, then they would. And in fact, in fact, it's not a bad idea, is it? If I work for Match.com, that's a good, good, good call. You could, you could call up a wedding uh, organizer company and say, can we speak to your clients and just ask them? how many of you caught the bouquet before you got married? And then you can have a bullshit statistic. It would get reported. I think it's it's not a bad idea to do the survey. I think there are a lot of problems, though, because a lot of people who get married may never have been in a situation where a bouquet is being thrown. I I gather that it's more unusual nowadays because it's acutely embarrassing and no single women really want to be part of it. And also because people get married after much longer engagements and relationships, if you haven't met the guy yet, you might be a decade of actually sealing the bouquet deal 
So there are a lot of problems, right? And bouquets are so heavy, you could knock one of the women out with it. <laughs> I would like to see a You've Been Frame style montage of that yeah, happening. Yeah, yeah, I, I actually would. Yeah. yeah. Particularly if it's an old woman being hit on the head. This is a really easy study to do. All you do is you pick a hashtag, and then when someone catches the bouquet, you get someone to tweet their name. And you collect that information, and then you just do like a periodic scan through the register of marriages. And then you just start to build up the statistics. It's really Martin, easy. we're alive. This is alive. I'm not going to spend years doing that. I've got I'm things to do. We're not getting any younger. I've got, I've got TV to watch. I'm less, I'm less surprised that this research doesn't exist than I am that there hasn't been a major Hollywood romantic comedy in the style of 27 Dresses, mm. where someone does this research themselves as a single woman going around weddings being like oh it's a load of rubbish and then ends up marrying the last man she expected to yeah don't you think a but statistician I, yeah yeah <laughs> a, a match made in stats a heaven. cynical statistician well he's not cynical but she is because that seems modern oh, she's a cynical new york journalist isn't she yeah. who smokes at the beginning of the film and has a gay friend she doesn't smoke yes she, she does drink too much she drinks a little bit too and she much. has one night stands so you yeah. can tell that she's off yeah and he's like <laughs> well statistically you caught the bouquet so we're going to get married in three years and she's like yeah no fear mate yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, you, you should write the dialogue it's I, good. I might actually good, yeah. yeah okay who oh. to play the the lady well, Kate is, Hudson. If you could get Emma Stone, that'd be great. But she's probably too big. You'd probably have to yeah. settle for Holly Hunter. No, not Holly Hunter. It's always Holly Hunter. <laughs> she's with nearly you. sixty, Martin. <laughs> this is more of an undernutrition. Oh, I know oh. who could do it. Andy Serkis. He does everything. I reckon. Anna doesn't matter if he doesn't oh, look the no. part. You just do it with those stupid pins on his nose. Anna do Ken- it all later in post. Anna Kendrick would be great because she can do romantic. She can do cynical. Okay. She's cute as a. Who was the statistician? You want a younger Mark Ruffalo type oh. or Paul Rudd? Who would be good in his career is in the right place? Yeah. John Oliver. John Oliver is the sassy <laughs> no. yeah, he he, He'd be like the cynical brother of the guy or something. Mm. Yeah, they'd yeah. look the same. You he'd... want a John Oliver type. But uh, I've never been at a wedding in my real life where anyone has jostled to catch the bouquet. Now, I, as far as I recall, you didn't do this tradition at your wedding. I didn't have a bouquet. Yeah. And lots of the sort of, we've talked about this before, lots yeah. of the wedding traditions you didn't do, some of which it's because you're feminist, some of which because actually you the just bullshit. don't like them. Yeah. The bullshit. Fine. But actually, what's your view on other people doing it? Because I do feel, even in the modern world, when you think it's a load of bullshit, it's just a bit of fun, isn't it? But I mean, most people are doing it as a bit of fun. Apparently, in, in, it used to be considered good luck for the bride to kiss a chimney sweep on her wedding day wow. in Britain. I did do that. And I gave him a blowy for extra good luck. Um, <laughs> but what do you think of the idea of throwing the bouquet? Like, well, do, do you stand at the sidelines and sneer? Or do you think actually this is quite fun, even though it's embarrassing? I think it'd be more fun if everyone who was single there joined in, not just the women. Yes, I agree with I that. I think mm. it's degrading if it's just women, because it suggests that, you know, all They're women are just, just waiting to get married and men yeah. aren't bothered. I think having a bouquet is quite weird because most brides are wearing dresses and shoes that are difficult to move in and you're taking your hands out of the equation you've got a thing you have to wrangle it's undignified yeah you always have to hand it to someone else if you, you were talking to people and, yeah. yeah so I'd, I'd say maybe have something else a knuckle duster I don't know before you were married yeah um, did you used to avoid this particular event yeah the only wedding I went to as a single woman I hid <laughs> literally hid <laughs> I hid I literally hid why? Because there wouldn't be pressure on you to catch the bouquet. Well... So you can stand there and just not make much of an effort. Yeah, I'm bad at catching anyway, because I have poor spatial awareness. Yeah. But I think it's because I would have felt degraded by it. And I was only 20, so I did not want to be the next person to get married. Yeah, I would yeah. have felt it quite inappropriate to get married when I was only one year into my university education. I wanted to play the field a bit. wonder if, as, as with so many issues, yeah. our experiences on this are coloured by our fear of audience participation. 
Absolutely. It is, it is that oh kind of God. event, isn't it? Yeah. It's like your heart sinks when someone brings the bouquet out yeah. and you can't pick rest me, until it's me. done. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Kate Middleton didn't throw her bouquet. Instead, it was placed at the tomb of the unknown warrior in Westminster Abbey. I don't think he's going to get married. Well, you never know with the royal family, do you? <laughs> if he's eligible, I'm sure they'll find a way. I reckon Prince Andrew would have a crack. That would be a PR coup. How many social networks are you on? Friendster, path you pawn, MySpace, Ping, and Google Buzz. If you want to be our pal, go to this URL: Facebook.com/slash/answer-me-this or Twitter.com/slash/Helen-and-Dolly. But please don't follow us in real life. Here's a question from Mark in Durham who says, After a long day, I need some cack telly to decompress. While Storage Hunters ticks that box with flying colours, oh, yes. I can't help but get a teeny bit irked about the auctioneer and his customer banter. Ollie answer me this, Why do auctioneers make weird noises really quickly when trying to sell lots? It's just weird. See, I mean, like, 420, I bid, I bid 420, do I hear 440? I have 440, I bid. Yes. With American auctioneers in particular, it, it they keep repeating. So even when there's not a bit, like, $1 bid, now 2 2 yeah. will you give me 2 2 bid, now 3 now 3 will you give me 3 blah, blah, blah. And that, it's like it, rap. It, it, it kind of is. So what it is actually is it's hypnotising the audience, even in the case of storage hunters. Hurry, 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 get your money out. Pay more money, more money, 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 money. Exactly. It's exactly that. It's, it's, it's showmanship as well. It's rhythmically implying to the congregated audience of potential buyers that the figures are going to continue going up and that the the figure that he's saying is next because he says I've got two will you give me three mm-hmm. is going to be reached yep. uh, and the technical term they actually have for this is bidding anxiety yes that's what they're trying to instill in the audience bidding anxiety you must act quickly to get this incredible special offer and if they just said right deals at 250 anyone Meh. no alright well, well, we'll give, go, I'll go give you five minutes again. to yeah. think about it <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah. you, you lose some of the pressure then to stick your paddle in the air and join in yeah, yeah. and may I say I, I recently went to bingo in Crystal Palace, above a restaurant, not a proper bingo hall. Mm. It's very slow, and I really did feel like it dissipated the tension. I wanted to gamble, damn it. Yeah. I was there to win. I did win. I won 25 quid in Sainsbury's vouchers. Congratulations. Thanks. It was my first go at bingo. I was very proud of myself. Well done. That's good work. But, you know, 40-odd minutes yeah, yeah. <laughs> of a man reading out numbers. That's, you really yeah. want him to go, 44, 31, two fat ladies, 88. You, know, you, yeah. you want that kind of speed. Otherwise, you might as well have just gathered together to do a Sudoku. Yeah, you know, you or data yourself. entry. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, and also, of course, the quicker that the auctioneers talk, mm. uh, the more money the auction house makes, thereby yes. more commission for them. So they're paying their own wages by getting through it as quickly as possible. Yeah. Well, so often they have a lot of lots to get through that afternoon, don't they? So they really need to hurry up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just trying to create a, a series of dramatic moments to hold the attention of the auctionees. I'm surprised that eBay hasn't developed an equivalent that you can put on a soundtrack. Put it on your watch list. You're watching eight items at the moment. One of the items is gone. You have missed that item. One minute left. Is it stolen? It appears to be stolen. Yes, it definitely is stolen. Are you going to buy it anyway, even though it's stolen? In the FAQ, they say this dress is 48 inches long from the shoulder and there is mild staining at the hips. <laughs> this is not a genuine vintage garment. It is reproduction. <laughs> Here is a question from Neil in, but not from Birmingham. Oh, someone mentioned the Midlands. You get the obligatory auditory release. <laughs> Ollie, answer me this. Can I get Martin to say, oh. <laughs> so he says, Ollie, answer me this. Yeah. How much is a brand new bus? 
Is it more than a fancy sports car? How much is a fancy sports car well, rather than a common or garden boring sports car? Quid? I was going to say, but that's quite a difficult thing to define. Like a Porsche, I mm. guess, is something like a hundred grand, but then you can get what's the really, really fast one that they only made like a hundred like Spider or something? No, it begins with an M. I want to say Michelin, but obviously that's the... Mondeo. What's it called? McLaren, the McLaren. Yes. McLaren F1, oh, that's F1, like a million yeah. or two million quid. Oof. Okay. So I don't know. a hundred of those or something. Let's there, take a median yeah. for a Porsche sports car at being somewhere between 50 and 100 grand. I think that's what most people okay. think of as a sports car price. Like a nice right? MG type exactly. thing. Exactly. How, how much do you reckon a bus is? Open like, top you... or not? Because if we're comparing oh. like for like, open top bus and sports car are the, the equivalent of <laughs> vehicles. No, I would say like a modern, uh, a modern route master. A, modern, a double-decker, like a London red bus are we going for as the classic yeah. bus mm-hmm. rather than a short bus that, mm-hmm. I'm going to make a pick and I'm going to say 400k well I think I think that's probably about right actually yeah. um, and the reason I don't have a definitive answer is you can buy buses direct from Arriva you can buy buses direct from Volvo they're new don't Mercedes make some of Mercedes them Mercedes well? make coaches I think more oh. than buses but yes I'm sure they do uh, but uh, they don't list prices on their website you have to call and inquire and I just wasn't prepared to pretend to be someone that wanted to buy a bus you mean you didn't put a freedom of information request into <laughs> TFL <laughs> Well, no, with the TFL issue, you raise an interesting point. So what we don't know is how much Arriva and Volvo and the like charge you to build you a new bus. But what we do know is what the government spent, what TFL spent on the most recent route masters. The ballpark figure for 600 buses was around 180 million pounds. That's right. around 300 grand each. Oh, okay. So now that's 300 grand each for a purpose-built, specially designed for Boris route master. With new R&D to pay off. But they did build 600 of them. So I reckon, mm. therefore, that actually a one-off bus with no special design is going to be about 400 grand. Yeah, I reckon yeah. that's about right. Mm. Yeah. Um, I really wish that when they were selling off all the old route masters, I'd had the... It was something like 25 grand to buy one because that... Really? Tucked in my parents' garden would be a lovely little bolt hole. Well, yes, but you've got to still insure it. Interestingly, even if it's uh, declared off-road... Really? Uh, you've still got to insure it because apparently people steal petrol from buses very regularly. Okay, but if it's not mm. got any petrol people in it... People smash in windows because they're vindictive and weird when they see a Boo. bus. Mm. But also you've got to pay the conductor every time you get on. <laughs> Here on the left is ancient palace, is palace, which is very old. Here on right is two dogs doing it. Oh, yes, they're having good time. Oh, yeah, go doggy. Oh, you like that doggy. Oh, yeah, you still going. Oh, go doggy. Go. Oh, oh no, no. And now he finished. Okay, we move on. Answer me this holiday. All the fun of travelling with none of the stinky toilets or frightening food. Out now at answermethispodcast.com slash albums. Here's a question from Sammy, who says, I'm a 29-year-old male mature student, and I will be attending either Goldsmiths University or the University of Birmingham in September, studying English literature and creative writing full-time. So, Helen, answer me this. What goes on? At Freshers' Week. What doesn't go on at Freshers' Week? (laughs) With your encyclopedic knowledge of exactly what goes on in 2014 at the University of Birmingham in September Freshers' Week. Or Goldsmiths. Or Goldsmiths. I bought my first teapot in Freshers' Week. (laughs) That's how I rolled. (laughs) Eleven years later, the spout fell off. Uh, I would like to see, Sir Sammy, what it's all about, but I'm a little concerned. Like he's just going to stay in his room and not come out at all. I'm afraid. I'm a little concerned as to whether mature students really are that welcome at Freshers' Week. Are mature students seen as a bit weird... I'm going to say yes on this. I know it's not very sensitive, but yes. 
uh, or will I fit in? I do want to join a few societies like the Atheist Society and the Skeptic Society. Oh, God. Will I fit in okay there? Yeah, because it will all be full of misfits there. Those are full of grumpy weirdos. <laughs> but you'll be probably pissed off at they're all 18-year-old idealists with really hardline politics and you'll be more scarred by life. Uh, this is all a bit daunting for me, says Sammy, as I've spent my work life from the age of 16 in the army Ooh, uh, and wow. then behind a desk in a soul-sucking job. Well, this might all seem a bit trivial to you then. I actually remember specifically the kind of corporate takeover that was beginning to happen at Freshers Week when we started. The student pound was being courted by various different companies so we mm. went to like the Freshers Fair. Every, I would say every alternate stall at the Freshers Fair was essentially some corporate thing trying to trying to make you wear their brand or sign up to their graduate scheme or something. Hey, here's an Accenture mug, now sell us your soul. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of that. And a load of pointless crap, like I got a Jack Daniels branded wooden tangram. Well, that's what, what I was going to say. What are tangrams for yeah. anyway? Tan- what's a tangram? I do remember also going to the Freshers Fair and being heavily pressured by the Tiddlywinks Society to join, and I didn't. Well, you have to put pressure on in Tiddlywinks, otherwise you get no progress on hey. the board. I just remember thinking I was going to have a really difficult time at university because I was very shy and I thought, oh, the first few weeks I'm going to really hate it. And you did. So I, got this, I had this idea of um, if I wore the same suede jacket every day, like people would remember me because I'd be wearing the same suede yeah, jacket. Yeah, that's your branding, Martin. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's such a stupid idea. But Visual iconography. For yeah, yourself. really. Like, I'll put, people won't forget me because they probably won't remember who I am. So if I wear the, the same suede, suede jacket, jacket guy. every day, yeah. yeah. Actually, like, I am kind of like that when I start a new job. Like, I secretly, I would you never want... You don't change your pants or your smelly pants guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, no when, I'm, when I'm trying to remember people in the office and I can't remember anyone's names, I will write yes. down in my file if I'll be like... Jewish looking guy Greg yeah, that's what Stop they do yeah, yeah. that's what they do at the Apple Genius Bar yeah but you, 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 the last thing you want is for those people to see that yeah. neurotic woman Elaine well do you remember yeah. there was a guy with very strong visual branding at our college Nick the Stick because he used to walk around in like a green cape carrying a stick I'd forgotten about him until you just said that but yes I do on the other hand though often Freshers Week is wild because it's many of these people's first taste of independence living away from home mm. getting to make all their decisions for themselves maybe because Sammy's been in the army and then a soul sucking job it's kind of his first taste of proper liberty as well I can't really imagine what it'd be like to have to consort with all these recent school leavers when you're in your late 20s yes. I think that'd be quite trying so maybe Sammy the best tactic for you is to make friends with graduate students I, I was going to say mm. I think go to the graduate thing because there yeah, is yeah, always yeah. that sexual frisson there in any fresher event I think because there's that expectation that people have rightly or wrongly that university is partly about banging and I think mm. if you're there they're going to look really really young it's one thing if you were 22 23 and they were 18 then you might feel like you had the pick of the spread if you go at this age you're going to feel like a paedophile well Sammy just for you I asked my friend Ben who like you went to university in his late 20s right. what Freshers Week was like and he said People talked up the age difference problem to me and what a nightmare I was in for, but making friends with people who are younger than me was not a problem at all. Actually, it struck me how easy and effortless people are at that age. Lots of energy, lots of chatter. I found the only person who had a problem with my age was me. Oh, that was almost um, like a Springer's final thought, the way you delivered that. That's how wise Ben is. <laughs> Wisdom comes with age. Uh, I tried to be as open-minded as possible and went to as many interesting-sounding events right across the university. Don't get me wrong, it was definitely challenging recalibrating and changing expectations of self at times, but that's really what you've signed up for anyway. God, that's such a mature student way to put it, isn't it? Recalibrating expectations. I think he also worked a lot harder because he actually wanted to go rather than just going automatically straight after school. Yeah, I kind of wish I'd been a mature student, really. Because I'd go now and, like... 
I'd, I'd rule. Well, now you'd be paying uh, through the nose for it as well, yeah, whereas so we had it really on the easy street. So I hope that's confidence-inspiring for you, Sammy. Ben does have an extremely youthful face. I don't know whether you're <laughs> blessed with one of those. He looks about 17 now and he's 36. Well, if, like Ben, you were a mature student and have some experience to share with Sammy, uh, send it to us. All of our contact details, as ever, are on our website, answermethispodcast.com. And you should also use those contact details to send us a question. And it remains for us to say thank you, Square space for sponsoring this episode of answer me this and thank you you for listening to it congratulations for that life choice (laughs) bye Bye.